You are listening to a sermon from the First Baptist Church of Ewing, a Christ-centered church in Lewis County. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles uh, one last time to the first part of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 27. Uh, We are uh, wrapping up our sermon series on Jesus' teachings on the Sermon on the Mount this morning. Uh, So go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 27. Uh, As you're turning there, let me go ahead and pray for our time. (sighs) Father, I'm just so thankful just for the ability to to be able to gather together and study your word. Uh, Specifically thankful, Father, that you you have allowed me to just to to make it here this morning and just be with your people. Uh, It is a privilege that we should never take for granted. Uh, But Father, as we study your word today, I just pray that we would hear from you clearly. I pray that you would just use me as a simple vessel just to proclaim your wisdom today. Just let me be a mouthpiece, a, a conduit for what you have to say to us, Father. Uh, Pray that you would just allow even me to set aside any distractions or other thoughts that I might have um, and just be able to proclaim your word boldly. Uh, And I pray that we would all respond appropriately and be transformed uh, by your teachings as a result. Just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So hear from the word of the Lord this morning, uh, Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 15 and going to verse 27. Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or Figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone who hears these words of mine And does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat at the house, but it did not fall because it had not er, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So here, this is the word of the Lord. So I want to start this morning actually by reading to you um, a conversation uh, with a pastor who was interviewed a while back uh, with Christianity Today. 
Now, it might take just a second to read through all of this, but I think it'll be worth our time. So the, the pastor writes, almost 15 years ago, on a shoreline outside of Athens, Greece, I stood confident in my relationship with the Lord and my ministry trajectory. I was traveling the world on a private Gulf Stream jet doing quote-unquote gospel ministry and enjoying every luxury money could buy. After a comfortable flight and my favorite meal made by our personal chef, we prepared for a ministry trip by resting at the Grand Resort Laganisi, boasting my very own ocean view villa complete with private pool and over 2,000 square feet of living space. I perched on the rocks above the water's edge, and I rejoiced at the life I was living. After all, I was serving Jesus Christ and living the abundant life he promised. Little did I know that this coastline was a part of the Aegean Sea, the same body of water that the Apostle Paul sailed while spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was just one problem. We weren't preaching the same gospel as Paul. Uh, this interview was with a man named Costi Hinn, who is the nephew of the prosperity uh, gospel uh, preacher, the prosperity, yeah, the prosperity gospel preacher, uh, Benny Hinn. I'm sure many of you uh, are familiar with him. Uh, but Costi goes on to say that growing up in the Hinn family empire, it was like belonging to some hybrid of the royal family and the mafia. Uh, our lifestyle was lavish, our loyalty was enforced, and our version of the gospel was big business. Though Jesus Christ was a part of our gospel, he was more of a magic genie than he was the king of kings. Rubbing him the right way by giving him money and having enough faith would unlock your spiritual inheritance. God's goal was not his glory, uh, but our gain. His grace was not did not set us free from sin, but was to make us rich. The abundant life he offered wasn't eternal. It was now we lived the prosperity gospel. So Costi Hinn, uh, he went on to explain what his ministry with his uncle looked like after school. Uh, he went on to go work for his uncle for a season. Um, and I don't know if you've ever watched a Benny Hinn service, uh, but if you ever do, first off, don't believe anything that he says. Just go ahead and say that right, right off the bat. Just make that clear. Uh, secondly, it should probably break your heart thinking about how much money is being wasted in those services going towards false ministry should make that clear as well. Uh, but I'm not going to lie, just from a purely entertainment standpoint, uh, those services are quite the spectacle. Uh, Benny Hinn spends much of his time doing uh, what he calls faith healing. You know, he's at least claiming to be healing others. Uh, and in order to do that, he quote unquote slays people in the spirit, whatever that means. 
Uh, so people will actually walk up to him on stage, uh, and he will literally knock them in the head with the palm of his hand until they fall over. Or sometimes you'll actually see him take off his jacket, uh, and he will like whip his jacket at different sections of the audience until a whole section of the crowd just falls over. And apparently, when Costi worked for his uncle, uh, his job was what they called a catcher. All right, he would catch those who were slain in the spirit, and he would carefully lay them down on the stage. Uh, and apparently, it was good money. Uh, in this interview, Costi goes on to describe staying at a resort suite with his uncle that cost $25,000 a night. All right, you heard that right, $25,000 per night. They also flew from country to country in their own private Gulfstream jets, uh, and Costi said he was gifted an entire wardrobe of custom-fitted suits to wear when he was on stage looking spiritual and catching people. Uh, but over the course of time, uh, Costi's confidence in the prosperity gospel, uh, it was gradually shaken by those around him, especially uh, by his soon-to-be wife and a close pastor friend. Uh, day by day, they would lovingly confront him, uh, not with arguments from their own opinions, uh, but with arguments straight from Scripture. Uh, and eventually, Costi said that the Holy Spirit opened his eyes and he walked away from all of those earthly treasures that he was amassing uh, in order to trade them instead for the eternal riches that come from submitting your life to Christ. So Costi had to learn the hard way that not everyone who preaches Christianity is a genuine Christian. His uncle claimed to be teaching about Jesus, but he certainly wasn't following him himself. And as Costi did some self-examination in his own life, he also realized that not everyone who professes Christianity is a genuine Christian either. Not everybody who preaches it is a Christian. Not everybody who professes it is a Christian. Because for a long time, he would have called himself a follower of Jesus, even though he really wasn't. And that's what we're going to see today as we finish up this passage, and as we wrap up this Sermon on the Mount that we have been studying. Uh, we've gotten to the point now where Jesus is beginning to kind of wrap up uh, his final thoughts. Uh, he's been recapping uh, everything that he's been trying to say throughout the sermon, you know, that there are essentially two ways to live. Just like we talked about last week, there's the narrow road, and then there's the wide way. Or there's those who bear good fruit and those who bear bad fruit, as we're going to see today. Or those who build their house on the rock and those who build on the sand. There are two ways to live, Jesus' way or ours. A life that is the embodiment of the Sermon on the Mount, living it out. Or a life that rejects Jesus. There are no third options. But today... We're also going to see that not only does Jesus want us to understand those two ways, he also wants to make it clear that it is not always easy in the moment to discern who is living which kind of life and what path they are on. 
There are those who are on the wide road, but they're wearing sheep costumes. So they look like Jesus followers. There are those who sound like they are on team Jesus, and they'll even call him Lord, but they're actually not on the narrow road either. So there are three principles from this passage that I want you to understand. Principles that Costi Hinn now knows all too well. That not everybody who preaches Christianity is a genuine Christian. Not everybody who professes Christianity is a genuine Christian. Rather, only those who practice Christianity are genuinely Christians. Not everybody who preaches or professes it is actually a believer. It's only those who are practicing it, putting it into action, and living it out. Living out Christianity Christianity is a whole way of life. Only they are genuine followers. So let's first see that not everybody who preaches Christianity is a genuine Christian. Uh, There are a lot of Benny Hens out there, and not all of them are so easy to detect. That's why Jesus says in verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly who are ravenous wolves. Notice that the false prophets that Jesus talks about, he doesn't say they look like false prophets. They they don't. That's what makes them so dangerous. They're wolves, but they are in sheep's clothing. False teachers often have a soft, woolly exterior. They look like sheep. They sound like sheep. They appear harmless. But beneath that woolly facade are still teeth, stained with the blood of previous sheep that they have just eaten for dinner. So it is of life and death importance that we be vigilant to guard our congregation, our sheepfold, from those would-be predators. Which is not to say that we have to protect our church from those who are sheep, but who we just happen to disagree with. We need to understand that sheep come in all kinds of different shapes and colors and sizes. Uh, there are many different breeds of sheep. We as a church can disagree on what we should wear to church uh, and about the aesthetics of our sanctuary and the style of our worship music. Uh, but what sheep don't disagree on is the fundamental truths of the gospel, That Jesus died to cleanse us of our sins. That right there is the DNA that makes us sheep. And when anyone among us has a different gospel to proclaim, no matter how closely it may appear to Jesus's, that means that they are not sheep. Their genetic makeup is fundamentally different from ours. And if they're here just in order to learn more about the gospel and to learn how they might become Jesus' sheep, well, then by all means, we should open up our doors and we should welcome them in. But if they come in with their own agenda, their own motivation, they're just seeking a platform to teach their own ideas, then the Bible calls them wolves. And wolves and sheep do not mix You leave them together in the same pen for too long, and blood is going to be spilled. And it's usually not the sheep 
uh, that it, it's usually the sheep that end up getting hurt. Um, I don't know if uh, you know this or not, uh, but when the Bible calls the followers of Jesus sheep, that's not actually a compliment. All right? in, in the animal world, sheep aren't exactly known for their intelligence. All right? They don't have a lot of natural defenses against predators. All right? They can't overpower those who are coming after them. Uh, they're not usually faster than their enemies. All right? They don't have any sharp fangs or claws of their own. Uh, so their survival depends upon staying with the rest of the flock and being vigilant to keep watch over their surroundings. Staying huddled in a large herd can intimidate, maybe even deter a would-be predator, or even better, if they can just avoid and try to distance themselves from a predator altogether. Uh, For example, I learned this week as I was reading uh, that that's apparently why many sheep actually don't like to walk in a straight line. Now, I'm not a sheep expert, uh, so don't get upset with me if you watch a sheep this week and it it does that. Uh, But several articles I've read talked about how you'll usually see a sheep kind of zigzag back and forth as they walk, especially if they are walking out in the wide open, uh, and especially if they are by themselves. And it's because if, you, if they just walked in a straight line, they wouldn't be able to see anything directly behind them. It would be easy for predators to creep up on them unannounced and attack. And so they zigzag. They, they walk this way for a little bit, and then they walk the other way so they can keep an eye behind them They they can see what's behind them as they try to keep moving forward and see what's ahead. And that's some pretty good advice, that that we as Christians who are Jesus' sheep would do well to learn from our real-world counterparts. Because Christians, we don't have that many spiritual defenses either. We are not going to be able to overpower Satan on our own. So our survival depends upon huddling together as Christians inside the safety of the church and by always keeping a close eye on what is lurking behind us, even as we try to make progress moving forward. It's also because sheep lack many natural self-defenses that they rely heavily on outside intervention for their survival. They need sturdy sheep pens that wolves can't break into. And they need shepherds and they need sheep dogs to fight on their behalf. And even though there are many wolves in this world, let us remember that as Christians, we too have outside help. The enemy may have wolves, but guess what? We have a lion. Wolves may prevail over a sheep that is trying to fight on its own, but not even the strongest wolf stands a chance against the lion of Judah, which is Jesus Christ. Wolves might have sharp fangs, but not even they can stand up to the jaws of Jesus. So we have a protector We have an advocate on our side, and he will defend us. 
But, but he also wants to equip us as well, which is why he gives us a wolf detector in verses 16 through 20. Even a wolf disguised in the most elaborate sheep costume won't be able to pass long without detection if we are heeding Jesus' advice here. He says, starting in verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So the fruit that a tree produces will tell you what kind of tree it is. Just like the actions of an animal will tell you what kind of animal you have been dealing with. Sheep don't devour other sheep. So if there is blood in the sheep's pen, you probably have more than just sheep that have been living there. But it's here where Jesus switches this analogy. It's important to understand what he's talking about when he begins to speak about fruit. I think this is actually why he changes metaphors from speaking about wolves to speaking about trees is because fruit takes time to discern. That's important for us to recognize. When you first see a tree, it's not always immediately clear what kind of fruit that tree is going to produce, especially if it's still the early spring and the leaves on the tree haven't even bloomed yet. A lot of trees are going to look similar, so you just have to wait until that fruit begins to grow in order to see what kind of tree you are dealing with. And so often, patience is key to determining the genuineness of somebody's faith as well. You have to wait and carefully watch their lives closely and as you begin to see the fruit that they bear. I think this is why we should be cautious about giving somebody a teaching platform too quickly, especially a newer believer. That's why the Bible actually discourages new Christians from becoming pastors too soon, because they need time to mature. They need a while to begin bearing fruit in their lives. They will either produce good fruit and therefore prove to you that their faith is genuine, Or if they are wolves, eventually they're going to bear their teeth. And you will be able to see through whatever disguise they have on. Time will eventually separate the sheep from the wolves, the the good fruit from the bad. So, So we must be patient and be willing to vigilantly watch and wait. So not everybody who preaches Christianity is a genuine Christian. Uh, But next, we're going to see that not everyone who professes Christianity is a genuine Christian either. There are false teachers. There are false believers as well. That's why Jesus says, starting in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Just let the weight of what Jesus is saying sink in there. There are people that you would have sworn up and down that they are followers of Jesus who are actually on the other road, headed towards their own demise. There are all kinds of people in church clothes headed towards hell. They are polite. They are respectable. uh, They would help any old lady cross the street. But they actually don't have a clue about Jesus. There are also those who have even deceived themselves about their relationship with the Lord. In their mind, they think that their relationship with God is great, but it's really all just in their head. They're really just dreaming. And if you ask them, they would tell you, oh, I believe, I have faith, but they have no idea that just believing is not enough. The Bible says that even the demons believe. Yet those beliefs aren't going to save them because those demons are still in active rebellion against the God who made them. So you can believe that Jesus existed. You can know that he walked on this earth for 33 years. All right, you can have in your head, you can store up all kinds of facts and information about his teachings, but that doesn't mean that you are saved. That that goes the the same with our feelings. All right, you can think about the church and you can be filled with this wonderful sense of nostalgia from these wonderful times of going to church as a kid and, and participating in vacation Bible school. All right, you can think about Jesus and get the warm fuzzies inside or what some people call spiritual goosebumps. But just because you feel a certain way about Jesus doesn't guarantee that you're going to spend eternity with him. You can even do a bunch of service projects. All right, you can do all kinds of activities in the name of Jesus and still not actively have faith in him. Just because you go on a mission trip somewhere, uh, just because you build an orphanage somewhere, doesn't make you a Christian. You, You can call him Lord, you can prophesy, you can cast out demons, you can do mighty works in his name, but unless you submit yourself to him and make a lifelong commitment to put yourself under his authority, then one day he's going to look at you and he's going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you you worker of lawlessness. This is one of the, the reasons why churches have to be so careful about church membership. 
Um, I grew up where uh, I grew up in a church where if anybody wanted to join, all they had to do was walk down the aisle at the end of the service. Pastor would present them to the congregation on the spot uh, as a new member. There was never any questions asked. The pastor never even sat down with them to hear their testimony. But, but not everybody who walks an aisle, not everybody who professes to be a Christian is a genuine Christian. That's actually one of the reasons I love doing the Next Steps class that I started for those who are interested in joining our church. That's why we print the testimonies of potential members. We, we print them in the bulletin for other members to read. It gives us all an opportunity to learn about what the Lord has done in their life. And it gives the opportunity to hear what the Lord has since done in their life. So that we can see the spiritual fruit that is evident in their lives as well. To help validate that faith that they claim. But if you're not careful to guard the gates of the church, don't be surprised when the membership rolls fill up with wolves and other animals who are not sheep. You'll have those trying to sneak in wearing disguises of sheep, as well as those who have deceived themselves into believing that they are sheep, even when they're really not. So we've seen that not everybody who preaches Christianity is a genuine Christian. We've seen that not everybody who even professes Christianity is a genuine believer. But lastly, we need to see that only those who practice Christianity, only those who live out the embodiment of the Sermon on the Mount and make Christianity a whole way of life, only those are the genuine Christians. You can't merely profess Christianity. You have to practice it. Look at the last verses in our passage, starting in verse 24. Jesus says, Everybody then who hears the words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and they beat the house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. I love this final analogy that Jesus gives us, talking about rain and storms. I don't think that there is a single individual in here that can't relate to this. We all face storms in our lives. So, so often, they will start off just appearing far off on the distant horizon, and they're just little wisps of a cloud. You don't expect them to amount to much. Maybe just a, a temporary rough patch in life that is sure to pass. Then suddenly those wispy clouds venture closer, transforming into a thundering rainstorm pouring down on your head. That's pretty much been my morning today in a nutshell. All of us will experience these kinds of downpours that Jesus is speaking of, where the floods come, the waters will rise, the winds will blow, your soul 
will take a beating from the trials and the tribulations of this world. It might be from deteriorating health or a lost job or the passing of a loved one or a potential miscarriage. Whatever it is, you will feel hurricane force like winds around you threatening to topple over your faith. And the number one key factor in whether or not you're going to weather through that storm or whether or not it's going to wipe you out, it's going to be the foundation upon which your life has been built. Because if you're starting out with a weak foundation, it doesn't matter how strong everything else is in your life. It is going to collapse. I promise you that. Your health is a terrible foundation to build your life on. You you might be the paragon of healthy living and yet wake up one morning to find out you have cancer. Your job is a terrible foundation to build your life on. You might be climbing up that corporate ladder for decades only to find out that you got fired one day. Your spouse is an equally dangerous foundation as well. You might look at them to be the bedrock of everything in your life only for the Lord to suddenly take them away from you. If any of those are the foundation upon which you are building your life on, then you're building your house on the sand. And you shouldn't be surprised when the storms come in and wipe it all away like a sandcastle futilely fighting against an incoming tide. But if Jesus is the undergirding of your life, well, then you can build skyscrapers on that foundation. If you are striving to be the living embodiment of this sermon that Jesus preached, if you aren't just professing Christianity, but you're actually putting it into practice, then let those rains fall. Let let the flood come. Watch as those winds blow. Like the big bad wolf, Satan can do his best to blow your house over, but your faith won't fall if it is founded on the rock of Christ. Everything else around you might sink into a sea of sand, but all that is built on the foundation of Jesus has been weatherproofed by his shed blood, and it can withstand even the most violent of storms. I promise you, if you don't remember anything else from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, please remember this. You can't always trust that everyone who preaches or everyone who professes Christianity really is a Christian. But if you heed these words of Jesus by submitting to Jesus and putting his teachings into practice and giving yourself to his authority, then you can be assured that your life is resting safe and secure on that unshakable rock and foundation that is Christ. Let me pray. (sighs) Father, everything in this world apart from you really is nothing but sand. Even those of us who are Christians, we often spend so much of our lives trying to build castles on that sand, 
only to see them wash away when the storms of life come rolling in. So I pray that this sermon would just be a wake-up call to all of us who need it, that we would all just go back to placing our trust and our hope in you and in you alone and in nothing else. Ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.